Now, we're finishing up a series called Clarity. And this has been such a great series, clarifying certain questions people have, questions of faith. And, you know, we got together, the pastors and, and, and staff within our church, and we kind of gathered together to brainstorm. What are people asking? And, and the one came up, uh, Callie Dye Schmidt. She's the uh, assistant at the Claremont campus, and, uh, or the, really the associate pastor there at the Claremont campus. And she came up with this one, and it's brilliant. And I have to admit, in 36 years as a pastor, I've never thought to preach on this. Why, if life is good, why do I need Jesus? I mean, if things are going pretty good, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, I mean, well, my life's not perfect. You may be sitting there thinking, okay, my life's not perfect, but you know what? It's not a train wreck, and so it's going reasonably well. Uh, why, why do I need Jesus? You see, there are two main reasons why most people uh, follow Jesus. One of those is because their parents follow Jesus, you know, like the child dedication children up here. Their parents or their grandparents, somebody in their family followed Jesus. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7 is just like a great couple of verses for uh, those that dedicated their children here today. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. That's really what the parents just dedicated themselves uh, to do, to impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get back up again. And so many people follow Jesus because somebody in their family uh, followed Jesus. Another big reason why people follow Jesus is because of trouble that happened in their lives. They go through hard times, and that tends to wake us up and, and make us want to follow after Jesus. Most famous story Jesus ever told was called the story of the prodigal son. Son that takes his inheritance early and goes out and blows it on wild living, the Las Vegas of its time. He goes to Vegas and he just blows all of his inheritance. And it says at the end of this time in verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so many times people kind of wake up and want to follow Jesus when their life kind of runs into a brick wall and they're saying, man, this is just not working for me. And they begin to be in need. Uh, Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he comes to the end. And nobody cares about him. Nobody gives him anything. And then finally, in verse 17, when he came to his senses. And a lot of times, trouble makes us, brings us to our senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Pastor Eric, a few weeks ago, had just an awesome sermon on, on pain in people's lives and, and why, you know, God, you know, why there's evil in the world and why we go through hard times. And I love this quote uh, that Eric Holmstrom used uh, from C.S. Lewis. God whispers to us in our pleasures. Boy, don't you wish God spoke most clearly when you're sipping a lemonade on the beaches of Hawaii? That's how I would like to be talked to by God. And he does whisper to us sometimes when life is going well. He speaks in our consciences. That's good but he shouts in our pains. How many of you really have heard the voice of God when you've gone through hard times? He shouts to me in my pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And, and so if, you, if nobody in your family was following Jesus or maybe life is pretty good, if life is good, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need to follow him? Now, there are hundreds of reasons I could give you. I picked out four, one for each quarter of our lives. Now, 
uh, if, if you are a person of detail, you've already noticed I made a couple of mistakes in the study outline there. I completely forgot the decade of life that I'm in. I'm 61. I forgot people that are in their 60s. I completely forgot you. Hang with me. We're going to put that in. I think it happens subconsciously because we baby boomers are in denial about our age. And so, you know, we think we're in our 50s, even if we might be in our 60s. And I also forgot those after the age of 80. Pastor Greg said to me, you, for, you went 70s and 80s and just stopped. Okay, so for those that are 90 and beyond, let's just consider that overtime. Okay, you're, 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 you're in overtime. Okay. So here's the first quarter of life, those in their teen years and 20s. Raise your hand if you're in your teens or you're in your 20s. Okay, we got a bunch of them here. Uh, that's great. Here's, here's the reason for following Jesus. And really, all of these apply to all quarters of life, but they're just kind of especially good for certain quarters. Following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. I remember my dad saying to me, and he was a businessman, uh, president of a lumber company, and, and, but he was on fire for Jesus, just hardcore follower of Jesus. And I remember he used to say to me, Glenn, I'm 100% convinced that the Bible's true, that there's a God, that Jesus is true, that Jesus rose from the dead. I'm 100% convinced. But if by some chance I'm wrong, I've still had such a wonderful life following Jesus. And even if it ends up being, uh, you know, fake news in the end and bogus in the end, he said, you know what? Uh, it's still, I've had this wonderful life and wouldn't exchange it, even if, even if it's not true. I believe it's true, but even if it wasn't, Jesus has made my life better and made me better at life. Uh, Joshua in 1400 BC, 3400 years ago, he said basically, Joshua said that the Bible is like an owner's manual. You know how your car works better if you follow the owner's manual? You change oil every once in a while, you keep the tire pressure up, you know, those kind of things. You get it serviced every once in a while. Things work better. And so Joshua says that the Bible is kind of like God's owner's manual uh, for life. He says in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Verse 8, keep this book of the law, the Bible, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you'll be prosperous and successful. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that he came, uh, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In another translation, it says abundant life. He came to give us life that is fulfilling. Now, Brian Lowther is um, a young man within our church family, and uh, he does research for me. So I said, Brian, I said this week, find everything you can on research, secular research, we're not talking from Christian sources, we're talking from secular, non-Christian sources, about how research demonstrates that following Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. And he gives me this stack of stuff. It just goes on and on. Let me just give you the tip of the iceberg, just some examples. Historians have discovered that Christians in the ancient world immediately began to have longer life expectancies than the people that did not follow Jesus in the Roman, the Greco-Roman Roman Empire, almost immediately. As a matter of fact, Rodney Stark, who's a famous historian and sociologist, said, modern demographers regard life expectancy as the best indicator of quality of life. So in all likelihood, Christians simply live better lives than just about everyone else. In fact, many that did not follow Christ were attracted to the Christian faith because the church produced tangible, okay, tangible, not only spiritual blessings 
uh, for its adherence. People began to follow it because they began to have better relationships. They began to uh, live longer. I mean, all kinds of health benefits. Here's another pack of resources, uh, of research. Christians divorce less. Uh, Research has found that couples who are active in their faith, now that's key, remember that, active in their faith, are much less likely to divorce. Catholic couples were 31% less likely to divorce. Protestant couples, 35% less likely. Not nominal Christians, however, those who simply call themselves Christians, but do not actively engage with the faith. That is, they don't go to church, they don't read their Bible, they don't pray. Now, this is weird. Are actually 20% more likely than the general population to get divorced. I can't figure that one out. And those of you that are statisticians, and, and uh, we got some professors here that are statisticians over at Claremont Colleges, you, you all help me figure out uh, that one. And I know those in the marriage ministry, the Dyers and the Amarals, will be interested to, to dissect that one. Uh, Shanti Feldhen has written a book called The Surprising Secrets of Highly Happy Marriages. And she found in her research that 53% of very happy couples agree with the statement, God is at the center of our marriage, compared to 7%, 7% of struggling couples. Now here's another batch of research. Going to church helps you live longer. Researchers looked at data on nearly 75,000 middle-aged female nurses in the United States as part of the Nurses' Health Study. The researchers found that women who went to church more than once a week had a 33% lower risk of dying during the study period compared with those who said they never went. Just by being here this morning, you've cut your death rate by a third, all right? Now, maybe that's because you sleep during my sermon and a little bit of a nap is kind of a, it's kind of a healthy thing, so maybe that's what's, what's going on here. Uh, uh, I mean, does it get any better? You come to church, you get cake. You get an extra hour of sleep. And you get a third of your life back again. I mean, this is great. Add another 30 years. Uh, Women who regularly attended religious services also had higher rates of social support and optimism and lower rates of of, uh, depression. Uh, And then there's a strong correlation exists between religious affiliation and personal happiness. A recent study by the Austin Institute for the Study of Family and Culture found that a strong correlation exists between religious affiliation and personal happiness. 45% of people who attend a religious service weekly say they are very happy, while only 28% of those who never attend said the same. Similar studies have found that people with faith have higher levels of life satisfaction and are better able to cope with difficult situations. Hang on to that thought for quarter number three. And then um, people who are highly religious are generally happier. A new Pew Research Center study of the ways religion influences the daily lives of Americans finds that people who are highly religious are more engaged with their extended families, more likely to volunteer, more involved in their communities, and generally happier with the way things are going in their lives. Roughly two-thirds of highly religious adults, 65%, say they have donated money, time, or goods to help the poor in the last week compared with 41% who are less religious. And 40% of highly religious U.S. adults describe themselves as very happy, compared with 29% of those who are less religious. And then finally, going to church reduces depression, suicide, and mortality. Over the last 20 years, research has gradually accumulated, suggesting that religious service attendance is associated with better physical and mental health. For example, research articles have indicated that regular religious service attendance is associated 
with a 30% reduction in depression, a 500% reduction in the likelihood of suicide, and a 30% reduction in mortality or death over 16 years of follow-up, and that's from uh, Spectator Health uh, Magazine. And so, following Jesus through every quarter of life will make your life better and make you better at life. Now, the second quarter, those in their 30s and 40s. How many of you are in your 30s and in your 40s? Let me see your hands on that one. Okay, great. Now, this one I called, I don't do preseason games. Um, and, And what do I mean by that? Mitch Hedberg said the NFL preseason can be a little bit like pancakes. All exciting at first, but then by the end, you're sick of them. That's how he describes NFL preseason games. And, and let me just tell you, my wife Kimberly and I, we agree on like 99% of stuff. But here's something, I'll just let you know, our marital dispute on this, on this one issue. We both love the Green Bay Packers. But she likes to watch preseason Green Bay Packer games. And I don't do preseason games. Especially if she was watching them on a computer screen. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not doing preseason games on a computer screen. She's like, oh, you get to know the players. And you get to know, you know who's going to make it and who's not. I don't do preseason games. You know why? I only enjoy a game if it matters, if it counts. As a matter of fact, I usually only watch about the fourth quarter of games many times. I'll skip around and watch the fourth quarter. Uh, the only, about the only time of the year I watch an entire football game is the Super Bowl because it counts. It really, really uh, counts. I don't do preseason uh, games. And one of the things I love about Jesus, and you've heard me say this 10,000 times because it's the name of our church. We really are into this idea is that there are thousands of reasons for following Jesus. But one of my favorites is that he gives a purpose for you being alive. It makes your life significant. It it makes it a a regular season game rather than a preseason game. I mean, if you listen to our culture, they'll tell you that we are just a random group of cells experiencing random chance. We're just random cells that happen to get together, live a few years, catch a few good movies, watch a few good TV series, um, uh, catch a couple of good meals in restaurants, raise our kids to do the same, and then we die and we turn into dirt and disorganized cells all over again. If that's the sum of my life, shoot me right now. That is so incredibly boring. That is so depressing. It's, I think it's why so many people are in despair today. And all of a sudden I meet Jesus. And the first followers he met, he said to a group of fishermen, hey, catching fish, that's cool. You know, catch a fish, eat a fish, catch more fish, eat fish. Tomorrow, catch fish, eat fish. And he comes up to these guys and says, how's your life? Eh, pretty good. He says, you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to raise it to a higher purpose. All of a sudden, you are the only person like you in the history of the universe. There's only one you. Of all the billions and billions that have ever lived, there's only one you that can fit into your particular part in God's master plan for humidity, for humanity, for humidity too, but for humanity as well. (laughs) You're the only one that can play that line in God's orchestral score. You're the only one who can write that line in God's, his story. You're the only one that that can say that line in his play. You're, you're, You're the only one that can catch that pass in his game. If it's not done, it doesn't get done. And you know what happens when you follow Jesus? Every day when you wake up in the morning, it's not a regular season game. It's Super Bowl. Every day is the Super Bowl. We're going to get to heaven, and we're going to watch 
today for in heaven, um, a day in the life of fill your name in the blank. And we're going to watch as you say that encouraging word to that pe- person at work. We're going to see you um, make a, a Christmas box for kids and send it overseas. We're going to say you write the check to sponsor a, a child somewhere through compassion. We're, we're, we're going to see you uh, say something encouraging to your child. We're going to see you be patient with your child when, when they are going through a hard day. We're going to see every act that you did in the name of Jesus through your day. And the crowd is going to stand to their feet and roar. We're going to watch replays of it. Show it again how she changed that diaper with a smile on her face. Show it again. Analysts are going to dissect it. Moses, Paul, they're going to take it apart line by line. Look at the way the creases of her smile started to go down, but they went up when she changed that diaper. And all of heaven is going to roar. It brings meaning and significance to life. It's one of the major themes in the Bible. Um, The word purpose is used 57 times in the New Living Translation, 58 times in the New International Version, 62 times in the Old King James Version, 80 times in the New American Standard Bible. Here's one of my favorite verses uh, saying about um, David. King David lived 1,000 B.C., 3,000 years ago. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, you weren't born when you were born by accident. Everything about your life is intentional for eternity. You were born where you were born, when you were born, at that moment in history, and David was born, he fulfilled God's purpose in that generation, and he falls asleep and wakes up in heaven. That should be on, I want that on my tombstone. I want that on on my gravestone. Woke up in a certain generation, born, fulfilled God's purpose, went to sleep, woke up in heaven. We love it so much we named our church after. We did a research study. You know, the name, if you're new to our church, how'd you come up with the name Purpose? Well, we could have just had a gathering and figured out what's the coolest name for a church. Remember anybody remember Flip Wilson had the church of what's happening now? We could have had the church of what's happening now. I mean, we, we, we could have come up, just let's all brainstorm. What's the coolest church we could say to our friends? You know what we did? We got a researcher to say, what's the number one word that those that are not yet following Jesus, they feel is missing in their life. And the number one word was purpose. And says, wait, so we're going to name our church for those outside of our church. That's how outward focused we want to be. And, and uh, Pastor Marithi, who was preaching here from Nairobi, Kenya, um, the world leader in the church, and he was preaching here last Sunday, he said to me afterwards, he said, there are two things I want to steal from your church. I want to steal your name and take it back to Nairobi. And I want to steal your worship team. He wanted to steal our praise team. He wanted to steal Pastor Jarrett and the worship team. He wanted to steal them, and he wanted to steal, um, uh, steal our name. Okay, third quarter. This is those in their 50s and 60s. And correct that there in your study outline. How many of you are in your 50s or in your 60s? Okay, I got uh, my, my hand uh, up on that. Um, uh, in our 50s and in our 60s. Um, the one I picked for that is, I am one phone call away from a crisis. <laughs> now, those in their 50s and 60s know what I'm talking about. Okay, you young people, you know, Pastor Eric, Pastor Tamiko. When you get a call in your 20s at 1 in the morning, all you think is, my friends are asking me to go out. <laughs> when you're in your 50s and 60s, you get a phone call at 1 in the morning, your heart goes into your throat. What, what is there going to be to deal with? Um, and, and so I'm one phone call away from a crisis. And having a relationship with Jesus will prepare you for that. 
Samuel Decker Thompson said, we are all just a car crash, a diagnosis, an unexpected phone call, a broken heart away from becoming a completely different person. How beautifully fragile are we that so many things can take but a moment to alter who we are forever. Derek Brooks, linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you just never know which play is going to be the one that changes the ball game. Uh, Taylor Swift said, people say you don't know what you've got till it's gone, but the truth is you just never thought you'd ever lose it. And then Tim Keller says, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and how successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. And so Jesus said the way to be prepared for this, he told a story about it in Matthew 7. He said in Matthew 7, verse uh, 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's, that's the key thing, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the phone call came at one in the morning and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. He said, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the one o'clock in the morning phone call came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And then the fourth quarter, and this really applies, all of them apply to all quarters, but the fourth quarter, those in their 70s, 80s, and beyonds. Let me see where you're at. All right. Woo! All right. There we go. Um, here's what I say for that quarter. Why do I follow Jesus? I will need a parachute someday. Okay? Life is fragile. And, 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 and it, can, it can be over. Um, it, it, can, it can disappear uh, before we know it. It's fragile. The Bible says it's like a mist. It's like dew that burns away by noon. Um, Barbara was wearing a new locket. And her friend Sarah noticed and asked if there's a memento of some sort inside. Yes, says Barbara sadly, a lock of my husband's hair. But he's still alive, Sarah protests. I know, replies Barbara, but his hair is gone. The Bible says life is as fragile as Pastor Glenn's hair. That, that's what the Bible says. And then the other thing is, is what if it is true after all? I mean, what if, what if it ends up being true? I mean, over the last 10 weeks, we've piled up hundreds, just the tip of the iceberg, but hundreds of people, pieces of evidence, archaeological, historical, scientific, fulfilled prophecy. Evidence that the New Testament writers were telling the truth. Evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, over the last 10 weeks, we've just piled on evidence. Okay? I'm, I'm convinced 100% the Bible is true. And Jesus did rise from the dead. And Jesus is the Son of God. And that there is a God. But say 99% of that evidence is false. What if just 1% chance that it's true? I love this. An atheist was rowing at the lake when suddenly the Loch Ness Monster attacked and grabbed him from his boat. He panicked and shouted, God, help me! And suddenly the monster and everything around him just stopped. A voice from the heavens boomed, You say you don't believe in me, but now you're asking for my help? The atheist looked up and said, Well, 
10 seconds ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster either. Okay. Okay. So what if it's true after all? You're going to need a parachute. I mean, Pastor Brian, the campus pastor at our Claremont campus, he sent me this a couple days ago. You know what's rocking the internet world right now? The scientific community, I should say. Scientific community is being rocked. Um, this is a headline from Newsweek magazine um, uh, just a couple of days ago. The universe should not actually exist, scientists say. Uh, let me read you some more headlines. Um, Futurism magazine. Uh, Research finds the universe should not actually exist. Seeker magazine. The universe should have destroyed itself at the Big Bang. Why didn't it? Cosmos magazine. Universe shouldn't exist. Physicists conclude. Live science magazine. Antimatter angst. The universe shouldn't exist. Let me continue with the uh, Newsweek article. It says, the universe as we know it should not exist, scientists working at the European Organization for Nuclear Research have said, after performing the most precise experiments on antiprotons that have ever been carried out, researchers have discovered a symmetry in nature that they say just shouldn't be possible. What if there's a God after all? What if Jesus is who he claimed to be? We're going to need a parachute. Someday. You know, even if all the things I've said so far don't pan out for you. He's like, well, I'm following Jesus, and frankly, it hasn't made my life all that better or me much better at life. I don't know that I feel any greater sense of purpose. You know what? Uh, I, I don't know that it's helped me. It certainly hasn't prevented the one o'clock in the morning phone call, and I don't know that it's helped me all that much with, with the pain of that. Even if all those aren't true, here's one you still need a parachute someday. See, That parachute is Jesus. And it's like me recommending to you, you're going to take a flight from Los Angeles to New York City. And uh, New York to Los Angeles, New York City. And I'll say, you know what? Here's a parachute. Wear it on the flight. You'll have a more comfortable flight. You'll have a happier flight. You'll have a more enjoyable flight. So you strap it on. You take my word for it. But somewhere over Kansas or Nebraska, that thing's giving you a backache. And it's itchy, and it makes you sweat. And the worst part is people are kind of looking at you, pointing and laughing at you. So you say, Glenn sold me a false bill of goods. So you take the parachute off. Now, let's imagine that I hand you a parachute for your flight from L.A. to New York City today. And I'll say, listen, put this parachute on, because somewhere over the plains of Nebraska and Kansas, your plane is going to crash. Now you put it on. And you hold on to it for dear life. And you don't care if it makes you uncomfortable. And you don't care if it makes you unpopular. And you don't care if the other passengers are pointing and, and, and laughing about you. You hang on to it for dear life because you know someday it's going to save your life. And that's what the Bible says in Hebrews nine twenty seven. It says there's going to be a plane crash someday. And just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And it says the way to prepare for that crash that judgment, that the death rate in America is still one for one. Everybody's going to die. Way to prepare is one word, the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you a chance to receive him right now. We're going to have one closing song, and forgive me, it's so late. Um, I apologize for that, but let's sing just one more song. And Pastor Tomiko and Pastor Lisa and, and Pastor Eric and I will be here at the front. If you just like to 
come forward and just pray with them to ask Jesus into your heart. Boy, I'd love for you to do that. You say, oh, Glenn, that's so awkward. Are you kidding me? That's embarrassing. Well, hey, if you were sitting there with that parachute and the other passengers were saying, we're looking at you, you wouldn't care, would you? Because you need that parachute for the plane crash. Or maybe you'd like prayer for something else. We, we will still do that in the prayer room after the service is over like we usually do. But maybe a prayer for a family situation. Maybe you want prayer for some surgery you're facing or a doctor's appointment. Maybe there's a family situation you'd like prayer for. We just love to pray with and for you if that would be an encouragement. So let's stand together. Come on down and pray with us if God uh, is leading you to do that.